All topics covered here are for conversational purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Please contact Mulcane Co. to receive advice on all matters from one of our professionals. A big welcome to all of our listeners to the FS360 podcast brought to you by Mulcane Co. FS is Financial Security 360 is at the centre of everything we do at Mulcane Co. So um, thanks for joining us. My name is Gavin Nash, your host, and today I'm joined in the Geelong office by uh, Danny Archer. G'day, Danny. Afternoon, Gavin. How are you? I'm loving this beautiful, warm, sunny day in Geelong. It's the only one we're getting for the next seven to ten days. Is as it really? Well. Now we won't talk about Collingwood immediately. We've just got to introduce our second guest, which is uh, Jesse Dury. G'day, Jess. G'day, Gav. Yeah, good. Good to be back. Nice, nice to have you on the podcast again. We're actually doing a part two today of a uh, a podcast, which we'll get to in a moment. But we better just revisit the Collingwood thing. Happy to talk about it. How long do you want? Congratulations, Danny, on winning the flag. Thank you. It had a, I had a lot to do with it. Really influential I was. <laughs> did you actually get to go? I did, yes. Best wow. day of my life. One of. Wow. That was good. Yeah. Okay. Set up in the grandstand. I didn't know you got to go. That's amazing. It was good. I managed yeah, hard to, to get to. Very hard to get to a grand final. Managed to snag. And then they also filled the joint out too. So over 100,000. So there was, they say, not a spare seat in the house. Although I did listen to a Nuffy AFL podcast that said uh, by ESPN, I think, deep diving the grand final, and they said that the this year's number of people at the grand final was identical to last year's number, which is also identical to the maximum that the MCG can take. So I think, I don't know if we're getting the right numbers from the AFL there. It's a hard one because people come and go. I know other yeah, than someone at the last minute trips over in the morning, goes to hospital, they can't go. You know, there's always going to be those well, ones. Even people go, like I even saw a few, because all the AFL players get tickets to go, and I sell some of them, you know, left a quarter time, mm. half time, they couldn't watch it. Yeah, yeah. So they kind yeah. of, when you look around, it's not actually 100,000. No, probably, probably in the fourth not, quarter. Probably not quite. But congratulations to the Pies. Jess, we've done our bit. That's it. Let's that's move all, on. That's Let's all move on very quickly. I even, I even <laughs> tried to give Jesse one of my scarves and he threw it on the ground in disrespect. Yes. Go the Pies. Yeah, go the Pies. Well done to the Pies. Uh, but we are here to uh, think about, or to chat about today, about our part two of our behavioural finance podcast. So part one came out uh, about a month ago and is uh, available on the podcast. So just go back a couple of episodes, guys, and you can listen to that. Um, but Jesse is undertaking his CFA. Just a reminder, that's a postgrad in as a chartered financial analyst at the moment. So as part of that study, Jesse's gone deep diving into behavioural finance. So last podcast, we, we got deep down onto cognitive biases. So biases that um, maybe your brain sort of comes across and uh, we went into a deep dive on that, Jesse. But yep. um, today we're going to talk about emotional biases. So um, maybe, Danny, you mentioned maybe this is sort of some stuff that people might be able to relate to a lot more because it's more of that emotional side and less scientific. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So mm. Jesse will we'll touch on it and a few of the labels here. But even with the cognitive biases, so they're just basically, like the, as you said, Gavin, the cognitive stuff's all mental and emotions are, are obvious there too. But... They're basically just ways of thinking or, or a reaction to a certain situation that we come across every single day. Yep. This just goes about labelling them. So people listening will go, oh, of course I do that. So, um, you know, it's it's not really, um, we're not reinventing the wheel or anything like that. It's just sort of putting a label to a behaviour or a reaction or a thought that people have daily and then just um, directing it more towards the finance side of things. Because I actually found from the last part one, Jesse, that mm. you know I went away from that conversation thinking about other parts of my life that yeah, that happens, absolutely. and and it wasn't and it wasn't the cognitive biases were there, 
And I started to notice that they were there in my life for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. But that had nothing to do to with finances. It was just that I noticed them because we just finished speaking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, no, and definitely, I mean, we, we discussed that as well in the podcast that, you know, you can, of course, um, relay like those those to just, you know, every walk of life. Um, yep. And and I think definitely there's emotional biases as well. Some of them maybe less than others, but, um, yeah, definitely there are uh, both cognitive and emotional biases in, in every aspect of life. Um, and uh, it's good to hear that you yeah, went away and, and did that. And I hope maybe, um, yeah, some of the listeners might as, as well. Um, so, yeah, no, that's um, yeah, great to hear. I think the, the biggest one is probably the one we touched on last time, which is confirmation bias, which is where you mm. just, you've got a thought about anything, whatever it could be. Should I bear it for Collingwood? What are the reasons why I should without trying to find out reasons why you shouldn't? You're only looking for information to confirm your preconceived idea. Even if evidence to the contrary is right in your face, you will completely ignore that. Most people could apply that to everything that they do nearly. Yeah, absolutely. Not just finances. Yeah, it could be. Um, Look, I had a a client this week that was looking at a a franchise, um, purchasing a franchise. So they actually... But by the time they sat down with the accountants and did some actual numbers on potential income, how many weeks a year you can work, mm. how many hours a day you can work, blah, 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 blah. The franchise, it just didn't look as good yep. as what they first thought with their back of the napkin numbers. So I think the confirmation bias was was there because they were like, no, this thing's just going to be a great thing. I'm going to be you know, supported in this franchise. But then when, when the numbers were done, that it sort it of disproved it. it. Yeah, 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 disproved yeah. it. Mm. And That's good. That's good taken by that, that person. On. Yeah, they've taken that on as a – because we were we – were doing some marketing for them and we introduced them to the accountant. So that sort of um, having an external person come in and um, just give you that alternative point of view and they were able then to weigh it up themselves and then go off and do what they're going to do. So, yeah. Um, Perfect. Nice one, Jess. We're going to let you get started. Um, There's a couple of... uh, couple of sort of headings as we go down yeah but uh emotional biases yeah so i'll I'll speak to just emotional biases in in general a little bit first so um i guess some of the maybe differences between them and and cognitive um emotional biases tend to be a little bit harder to correct than cognitive biases so a lot of the um we we spoke last podcast about you know um ways to mitigate against or sometimes correct uh, a cognitive bias um generally emotional biases are are pretty hard to actually correct in, in their entirety or sometimes even mitigate against it all a lot of the time it's a matter of just um as danny said before labeling um recognizing that there is an as a bias there and then um, a lot of the time it's a matter of engaging a professional and actually taking the decision-making away from yourself. Um, it can sometimes be um, yeah, the, the best way to, I guess, avoid being subject to these biases or at least avoid your decisions being subject to them. Yep, um, sure. They arise spontaneously rather than through conscious effort um, and you, you, you might, um, I guess, understand that, that you have it um, and that might be undesirable. You might not want to experience an emotional bias and still succumb to it anyway. Yes. Um, and so that's definitely something that probably as we go through, you, you'll recognise some things that, yeah, you know, even if I was aware of this, I would still do it because I just don't know any better or I, I sink, simply can't bring myself to, you know, make a different decision or, or do what I'm doing differently. And that's the thing with emotions, isn't it, in general? Like often they're not, uh, you know overly balanced uh, right, points yeah, of view, yeah, yeah. emotions, they, they come up and go down. So it doesn't surprise me that they're a bit harder to crack. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, humans are, are ruled by our emotions. That's, you know, just how we operate. Um, and so it's it's yeah, really just a matter of recognising how we operate, why we operate the way that we do and, and um, yeah, doing everything that we can to make sure that we are making the, the right, in this case, investment decisions, but um, in, in general, just decisions in, in life. In life, yep. 
Perfect. Um, okay, so um, moving on, we'll, we'll yeah we'll, we'll start running through a list. We've got a total of four um, to go through. So um, this is I've just sort of handpicked a few that I think are, are most relevant um, and and easy to talk to. Um, the first one we've got here is loss aversion bias. So um, there's a, um, a a couple of sort of aversion biases, loss aversion and regret aversion that that we'll talk about. The first one being loss aversion. Um, this is the tendency to, to strongly prefer avoiding losses as opposed to achieving gains. Um, so what we're talking about here is is focusing more on that downside than the upside um, and giving it sort of extra weight that, that you wouldn't uh, that you wouldn't or shouldn't um, give it in a, in a, um, a rational sort of um, analysis of, of an investment decision. So um, particularly what, what I've got in brackets here is taking more risk, um, in an attempt to prevent a loss is, is a sort of a, a deeper understanding of that, that loss aversion bias where you're actually, sometimes people will um, literally add more risk to their plate just because they believe that it's it's doing the opposite and taking risk off the I table. Th- I, I, when that came up on, on our rundown shit, I actually thought it was going to be the other way. You know, that, that you know, you're, you're taking less risk because you're worried about the loss. Right, which so it, it is. People are trying to do that, but un, un, unknowingly they're yeah. putting more risk on their plate by probably going about it in an incompetent way. Right. Yep. That's right, yeah. Yep. So so there is sort of, yeah, there is there is um, instances where maybe you're not taking enough risk for your particular um, situation, but then there's also the instance where you are um, unknowingly, as Danny said, taking more risk. And a common way that this happens in, in with the general public is they tend to people tend to think that direct property is less risky than shares. So what they'll do to try and de-risk everything is they'll go out and buy an investment property or a commercial property or some type of property, thinking that that's de-risking things. But then they've gone and bought that property in a very um, in an area that's quite volatile, whether it's a country town or a mining town or something like that. So without knowing, they've actually tripled their risk. Versus if they just either left it in the bank or invested it in a diversified portfolio. So it's just, again, that, that bias and understanding as to what each asset class, um, what, what the principles of each asset class are. Yep, makes sense. Right. Yeah, so, so Danny's covered off on the sort of asset allocation side of it. Um, and a couple of the other consequences of this bias that I'll, I'll run through. So um, uh, investors might basically hold investments um, in a loss position longer than my, what might be justified by, by fundamental analysis, um, basically in the hope that they might return to a break even. So you've taken a loss on, on, a, on, a, um, on a share or a, a managed fund or a property, whatever it might be. You've, you've noted that the, the market value has come down um, and you're holding on to it purely because you want to get back to a point where you're breaking even on it, even if the fundamental analysis suggests that that is no longer a good investment. Um, and your money could be better placed elsewhere, you're holding on just to, to sort of avoid making a loss. Because emotionally, I suppose, you're going to tie your emotional feelings exactly. to the loss. Yeah, yeah, say. yeah. It's mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, for a, a really simple example would be, but if you reinvest that in something else, you may mm. realise a much bigger gain longer yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's yeah. just it's, it's this... This bias that we just we don't want to lose anything. We never want to have you know locked in. Everyone and wants actual, to be a winner. Exactly. Like, like yeah. The pies, like Collingwood. 
<laughs> We're going to keep coming back to the pies, I think. Happy to. Unfortunately. But, unfortunately. but you're right, yeah, that, 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 and that does make sense from an emotional point of view that you don't want to associate yourself yeah, with course. failure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just a, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so, and, and that sort of, um, I guess, yeah, speaks to the, the importance of having someone who doesn't have that emotional tie, you know, your financial advisor or your stockbroker, like they, they don't care as much about you making a loss on an individual investment as you are going to. That's just a matter of fact. And yes. so because of that, they're just going to have less biases when it comes to, you know, making the right decision at the right time. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, um, it's yeah, def- definitely an important one. And then further to that, um, investors might sell an investment in a gain position earlier than justified by fundamental analysis. So um, that would basically come out of the fear that those gains will erode. So you've, you know, you've seen a bit of green and you go, I just want to lock that in um, and sell to cash. And then, and then you know, I'm in the green, I've, I've had a win, that's great. Um, but a fundamental analysis suggests that that investment is still a great investment and it's got a lot longer to go, um, then maybe you've, you've done that too early and you've cost yourself some gains. Um, you get a bit trigger happy and just sell because of that green and, and not realising that you've cost yourself another 20, 30% hypothetically. But also I, th- I think, especially if you've just been through the first uh, component here that with the yeah. consequence that we spoke about mm-hmm. in that you've sort of held the investment too long, mm. that could sort of, once you're in the, the green, you think, oh yeah, once I'm in the green, I should cash in and move on. Yeah. But um, yeah, as you say, I suppose it's a matter of trying to look at things, you know, from that uh, analytical point of view, not just your, what your emotions say. Yeah. And I, I guess the result of doing those two things is if you are essentially selling your good investments and holding your bad ones, what you end up with is this really suboptimal portfolio um, on, a, on a risk-adjusted basis. Um, and it, it's called the disposition effect where you, you're basically getting rid of um, these, these maybe promising investments where fundament, fundamental analysis is, is good and, and as a result it's in the green and then you're, you're holding on to everything that yeah, uh, says otherwise and you, yeah, you end up with what might be considered riskier assets um, uh, because they're, they're more volatile and they've actually you know, come off a bit price-wise. Um, you can uh, yeah, en- end up with having a, a really suboptimal portfolio that might have higher risk and less um, you know, future return potential than what um, an optimal portfolio might have. Okay, yep, so it can have those consequences. Yeah, um, so as far as detection and, and guidance goes, um, again, like these these emotional biases, we're not going to have much to cover in this section um, simply because it is a matter of recognising these these biases, um, but the, a lot of the time there isn't a whole lot you might be able to do to overcome it other than just recognising it and doing your best to sort of take a step back from it um but what i've got here is just to show discipline in in your analysis and consider probabilities objectively so um try to detach emotion from your analysis and decision making um and and yeah just look at those probabilities as they are and and, you know not attach um a thought really to have i made a loss or a gain so far it's it's almost um you know we should be making investment decisions irrespective of of what has happened and, and make sure that we are looking forward and, and, and treating an asset at its current price um, regardless of, of what we bought it at. Um, I think yeah. you said on the last podcast, Danny, too, it's the the, the, the chat at the barbecue test, you know, mm. where someone's standing at the barbecue going, oh, well, I bought for $10 and sold at $15, you know, uh, not knowing what's happened in between. But there might have been 20 years in between as well. So, um, Or yeah. three, three losses in amongst that as well yeah. that they don't bring up. Yeah, exactly. And and that can happen over time. And, and sometimes we're pretty good at forgetting the bad things that happen and then, you know, emotionally only remembering the good things that happen over time. So, yeah, no, that, that 
Yeah, the detection and guidance is, as you said, Jess, is a little bit harder to yeah, no, ma- manage. It, it genuinely is, yeah, for, yeah. for these emotional side of things. Yeah, um, yeah you'll notice there's, there's definitely a few less dot points in, in that section on our, on our run sheet. Um, I'll move over to regret aversion now just because that is um, similar but but quite different. Or just on just on loss aversion bias too, sometimes there 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 is room for these biases in a particular mm. situation. So a good example with loss aversion is, as it says here, the tendency to prefer avoiding losses than gains. And a good example of when this could be relevant, and we get it all the time, is you might get a young couple or someone saying, hey, my goal is to buy a property in 18 months' time a year or 18 months' time from now, when we get, they go, okay, I've got 100 grand, they've gone to see our mortgage brokers and they've been told they need 150000 saved. And they say, what, what should I use to save that money in that amount of time? Now, whilst this isn't financial advice, but uh, you get a lot of reading out there you would find, it, should, it would suggest that if your investing time frame is a year or two, investing in things like shares and property can be quite risky because, yes, it can go up 20 or 30%, but your, the balance of your portfolio could also go down 20 or 30% in that time. So imagine in 18 years' time when you're ready to buy a home. 18 months' time, yeah, yeah. 18 months' time, sorry, yeah. and the day after the, the value drops by 20 or 30%, you actually want some loss aversion bias in your life at that particular point in time Yes. because the, the risk of it going down in value is far greater than the potential benefit of it going up in value. As in, you need 150 grand minimum. If it's 130, sorry, you can't afford your home. If you've got if 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 you've got 170, great, but you need 150. Yeah. So you would use something a bit more secure from a capital point of view in that particular time frame to limit that risk. So that's where loss aversion bias from a financial advisor, we should arguably show that to our client yeah. when building a portfolio good thing. for that yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. From that point of view, and especially on that shorter time frame, I think that's the thing. Isn't that's the it, key with, with a lot of people with investments, especially in in shares, property, whatever, managed portfolios is, you know, is there's always that time factor because uh, not everything's going to turn around in 12 months or two 100%, years. 100%, yep. Yeah. Sorry, Jesse, regret aversion. No, all good, yeah, yeah. So regret aversion, um, yeah, as I said, similar to loss aversion, but it's avoiding making decisions um, in general out of fear that the decision will turn out poorly. Um, so it is a little bit different to, to loss, of, loss aversion. We're, we're talking more about just a, a decision turning out poorly um, and not wanting to um, basically make a decision at all out of fear. And um, the feeling of regret. <laughs> yes, the feeling of regret, exactly. You're, you're, yeah. No one likes that, do No, you? no, absolutely no. not. You don't want to make the wrong decision. Um, but I guess, yeah, the issue is that um, a lot of the time you're, yeah, you're missing out on so many opportunities by, um, by just not making a decision at all. Yep. Um, so, so consequences of this, um, investors might be too conservative in their investment choices um, as a result of maybe previous poor outcomes. You've experienced something before where you, you made the wrong call and you thought, you know what, this time I'm just not going to do anything. Um, investors may wish to avoid um, the regret of making more bad investments um, and instead take on low-risk instruments like, um, you know, uh, term deposits or cash at the bank or whatever it might be that maybe has um, less expected return than other opportunities out there, um, which obviously this is likely going to lead to long-term underperformance and maybe a failure to reach um, investment goals. Um, and then the, the second second consequence I've got here is is just an engagement in um, what's called herd behaviour or herd mentality. Um, so investors may feel safer in popular investments um, or by following other traders' moves to limit regretting their own decisions um, and instead, I guess, be able to blame others if a negative outcome occurs. So if I followed the 
barefoot investor and then it did, went badly, so it's his fault. Not right, fault. exactly. But it's yeah, still yeah. your and money and your investment. Bitcoin's <laughs> another good example of herd mentality as well, yeah. where most people had no idea what it was, heard about it a lot because on every news outlet ever, it was spruiked for its, its returns or its volatility and it bred excitement. People were excited and they jumped on it purely because they heard that old mate was doing it. And then when they found out that you could buy a percentage of a Bitcoin or some any type of crypto, um, that's a, that was a good example of herd mentality, which unfortunately burnt a lot of people when that particular asset class crashed a fair bit last year. Yep, absolutely. It's a good example. Yeah. Um, and so I guess this can just lead to, um, as well, people choosing... Um, you know, companies to invest in based on, you know, whether they are familiar with them or not as well. Um, and so um, I guess there's a, obviously a, such a large scope. We discussed last time that the, the massive breadth of investment opportunities there are out mm. there. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that many people will stick to, you know, what, what they're familiar with um, because maybe there's just this, this idea that if you're if you're sticking to maybe the other companies you're familiar with or people you're familiar with and and maybe putting more trust into others or, uh, you know to make your investment decisions for you there's there's just um, yeah I guess a, a lot left on the table basically with with this bias which is um, yeah really something to to take note of and realize that um, you know we um, uh, need to make sure that we're um, yeah considering all options and and not just sort of standing back in the corner and, and letting things pass us by. So I suppose everybody's heard of BHP and, you know, everyone goes, oh, well, Westfield Shopping Centres, I, I go and go to a Westfield every weekend, so I know that that's a good investment because yeah. they all seem to be getting the shops seem Yeah, to be I see people at the doors or, or yeah, 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 yeah. So I think we're all guilty of that too to say, oh, yeah, well, everyone always needs their hair cut, so I'm going to invest it's in a, a hairdresser. It's yeah. a big one, even more so the old school, maybe the retired generation, you know, if they use the NAB to bank with, they would have shares in the NAB or yep. if they use a Westpac or whatever gas provider they use, or Telstra, or whatever. So the, we do come across it a lot, which it, it, it is pretty popular, and, and sometimes it does make a little bit of sense as to why. And the idea is, I'm a customer of that particular company. I'll invest in just that one. But we touched on it in, in a podcast or two ago. A lot of the time, you're also alienating some other options as well. So mm. yes, if you do invest, if you do bank with Westpac, and you, you, you do buy shares in Westpac, doesn't necessarily mean they were the best of the big four to have your money in at any point in time. So you shouldn't, again, just because you're familiar with it, put your money there. You should look at it, looking at one of the other biases we discussed, taking all emotion and just looking at the fundamental analysis of them all. But that comfort factor is it's hard to ignore yeah, yeah. as an advisor. Which is why it's in the emotional box. Correct. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's not something you can just easily dismiss because, yeah, yeah. you know, this is a habit that people have been, um, have brought up with for years and years and years and years. And to break it in one or two meetings is very difficult and arguably you shouldn't expect to do it. It's, yeah. a, it's a long-term thing. Yeah, yeah, understood. Perfect. Yeah, and, and look, to be honest, like, you know, we're talking about how it's hard to ignore, hard to, you know, it's a, these emotional biases are, are hard to get rid of. I've got a couple of, of points for detection and guidance here, but to be honest, I don't even really like them much. I don't know if they if they really do it much justice. So, uh, what I've got here is, um, you know, you can quantify the, the risk-reducing and return-enhancing advantages of, of diversification and, and asset allocation um, and also recognise that, you know, bubbles happen and to keep long-term in, um, investment objectives and, and expected returns in mind. Those are good points, but I don't know if necessarily understanding and, and taking out those things are, are going to stop you from... from um, avoiding regret yes you know, that's just yeah. the, at the end of the day we, we don't want to regret our decisions um, yeah. and when it can be a hard nut to crack yeah like, yeah, yeah yeah exactly um and and it's you know it's it's easy to say in in 
in real life, or, you know, be be okay with making mistakes. You know, we all learn from mistakes. But when it's a financial decision and your money's on the line, it, it doesn't feel comfortable to do that, you yes. know. Um, and so it, it, it's a hard one. It's, it's really a, a matter of, you know, and uh, with risk of sounding too salesy, but engage a, pro- a financial professional. Yes. Um, you know, engage somebody who who um, isn't going to look at your particular portfolio with that bias in mind and is going to be searching for, um, you know, the most appropriate investing opportunities for you at any point in time um, and, and not be afraid to to take those opportunities if they fit your, your risk profile, um, you know, and your, your long-term investment goals. I, th- I think the thing too with um, invest investing is, when you said in consult a professional, is that, you know, you guys are doing it five days a week, every week. Mm. So there's just no way in the world that anybody, even listening to all the podcasts and reading all the financial review mm. um, newspapers when they come out, can possibly keep up with it like you do because they're spending 40 hours of their week working in their own job, in their own industry. So there's just no way to, to, no, to compete and, with yeah, yeah, the idea that, that a financial planner has got their head around stuff. And we need to obviously provide independent advice that's in your best interest and put you in a, in a better position and we really have to take away all of our emotions from making a call too. But we also need to be cognizant of, you know, what makes you tick, um, what you're comfortable with, what you aren't. So if you are really sort of what we call a secure conservative investor, no matter how many times we can throw some numbers at you or prove some certain things about, if you do want to achieve a long-term goal, then turn deposits aren't going to cut it. They don't sleep at night without that fact. Unfortunately, we just have to, you know, that that's the path that we have to have to go down um, in, in that regard. So, and, you know, the regret aversion, we come across it all the time. So there was one yesterday. Client had sold a property. They've got a decent six-figure chunk of money in the bank. It's been there for a while. They did the numbers on their two other investment properties about the net return they're getting. They're getting between 1% and 2% net cash flow return. You can get 6% in a turn deposit today, yeah, basically. Just put so that money with, with a, yeah, in a, in a um, term investment. Yeah, correct. It's got a 12-month or a 24-month, you know, anniversary and you're going to get your five percent and they don't need to worry about tenants they don't need to worry about maintenance costs anything like that but they are they are well for want of a better term suffering from regret aversion 100 that they're aware that there are potentially other things but they just need the little push to be able to pull the trigger and do so because they don't it's more a matter of if they did sell where would the money then go they know there are other options but they just don't know exactly which one they're comfortable with and then as jesse said they've engaged a planner we've shown a very unemotional, independent view of things, and we've, we're going down a certain path. And they even said, "I'm not. I wasn't quite comfortable with this idea when I first met you, but I now am because you've explained risks, pros and cons, all of those kind of things. And now that I understand them, I'm willing to accept them and go down a different path." And they even said, "Had we not have seen you, we would have kept what we've currently got for the next ten years." Yep, and realise those poor returns. I think um, it, it comes back to the education factor at, with everyone here at Mulcanco. We just mm. spoke about it um, on a recent podcast with the lending guys down here that, you know, a lot of your job is really educating a client with, you know, what you know. So they, they sort of become a, I think you've said it before, Daddy, like a Swazi accountant because you sort of know so much about another area because you're getting educated the whole time. But we're, we're constantly doing that with clients, aren't we? Because you're trying to sort of educate them so that they can make their best decision and be comfortable with it moving forward. Yep. Perfect. All right. I'll um I will quickly touch on um a, another bias called status quo, which is is 
very similar really to a regretted version now that I'm looking at it. Um, the, the definition is basically just choosing to do nothing instead of making a change even when change is warranted. So it's probably explained, yeah, it's probably it, well explained we by Danny's of, case yeah, study. Yeah, yeah, blended the two and together. And that, that's, a, that's a saying out there, just go for the status quo or follow mm. the status quo as in people do that in all walks of life yeah, yeah, as well and with investing um, it can be a cause for concern. Yeah, so, uh, and, and again, like the consequences, very similar to regret aversion. It's really the only distinct, distinction is, is just, I guess, um, whether you, the, the, the purpose of, of not making a decision, if it's to avoid a loss, avoid regret, or just to literally s- follow the status quo. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, these decisions might be the same decisions. It's just a matter of recognising where it's coming from within yourself um, yeah. and, and putting a label to it like we are here. So, um, you know, consequences are... Um, unknowingly maintaining uh, portfolios with risk characteristics that are inappropriate um, for your circumstances, failing to explore other opportunities. Um, probably, I guess, something that maybe, Danny, you might even be able to, t- to talk to a little bit more is people um, getting getting older and just following the same investment philosophy um, as, they, yeah, yeah. as they approach retirement. Um, there's there's a very different, um, I guess, investment strategy that, that we um, would look at for you know people in their twenties versus people in their sixties, um, and particularly it's getting much closer to that retirement age. Yeah, so yeah. You want your risk a bit lower, and yeah, and like you know access to to capital. You know, your, what are your liquidity requirements? Things like that are, are things that we obviously consider when we're um, I guess composing an investment strategy for somebody. So um, keeping that status quo and just keeping that that sort of same. Um, yeah, investment profile or strategy or philosophy, whatever it is, um, forever or for an extended period of time. Sometimes, um, you know, there is cause for change. There is reason why you should review and 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 maybe switch things up a bit based on what your your needs are at, at any current point in time. Especially with age, age is the biggest one, isn't it? Because you know everyone's at a different age all right throughout their lives. So if you just do the same thing over and over again, you may well, not get a good. The guys result. we saw yesterday, exactly. So now that they've just retired. So their personal circumstances have changed 180 degrees from the last 45 years of their life. They worked from um, left school at 16, retired in their early 60s. So through that whole journey, they've been accumulating their their capital. So that's why they've used investment properties and they haven't been too concerned about the income that they've produced them. As long as they paid for themselves more often than not, they were quite content knowing in the background that the value was going up, you know, not, not linear, but it was going up over a 40, 50 year period. Now, though, their circumstances have changed where they're not earning any income. They need their capital base to pay them an income to retire. And as I said earlier, their properties are producing a net income of between 1% and 2%. It purely just doesn't produce enough income for them to live their life, their ideal retirement lifestyle. And then, as Jesse said, they've got no liquidity needs. So with property, what you can't do is sell the laundry and then just, you know, spend that money. Keep because rest. <laughs> a goal that they have is they want to upgrade both cars and go overseas next year and that's 150 grand is what they need for that. They, they, they don't have that money because it's all in, in property at this point in time. So it took a while ticket to, to sort of prove to them that other asset classes provide a, a, a more solid income stream over a period of time and then if you do need access to the capital, it's there. But if that, that they are currently and they know they're following the status quo of themselves and also their friends at you know that same age demographic that have just used property to accumulate their wealth through their whole journey so it's, that's a 45 year habit 
Yeah. It's very, you can't just break that emotional, overnight. Yeah, an and emotional bias. And yes. they, they kind of, you know, kick themselves a little bit that they didn't realise. And our job is to empathise a little bit and say, it's not your fault. Like, you've done this for 45 years. Like, yeah. you and can't a lot just of society in Australia is about owning your own home. And, uh, and this is this the way we've been conditioned over a long period of time. So buy, buy properties and if they pay for themselves, they're fine. Yeah, yeah. You can one day, you, you can sell them all and yeah, put and the money in the bank. And now, yeah. now we're at that point. It's We know we need to sell, but what, what do we do with it, basically? But the, the, the status quo... And also the regret aversion bias is like these, these particular client, these guys are projecting that, I guess is the term. Yep. Um, yeah, very strongly. Uh, great. Yeah, they are probably pretty similar, but, you know, status quo. I, I keep thinking about other things in life other than finance. Yeah. Sorry, Jesse, yeah, yeah, as no. you're talking, because I'm like, it's good. Geez, it's so, so um, true for a lot of your life. So isn't many it? things. Like, yeah, you yeah, go, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Health insurance. My, you know, my wife is um, involved in, in health insurance, and she's like, amount of people that are still paying for mm. um, obstetrics when they're well past childbearing age in years, but they've just never reviewed their health yep. insurance to take it off. So because it's just status quo, I'll just keep paying Vupa or whoever I'm paying, Medicare or whatever. Yeah, or yeah. A lot of Warren's Anything? clients and, the, and the, also the, the, the lending team's clients would be you know showing this as well without mm. even real. I've heard Warren say a lot of times on the podcast or just in the office, they rely, they, the banks rely on you not checking your rate, yeah. not worrying about it and just following the status quo on things. Yes. And then so I, I guess the big difference between the two is status quo is you just maintain because you're comfortable, you mm. don't really consider it, whereas regret aversion is you probably know you should, you know, but yeah. you're worried about making the wrong call. So um, th th there's a bit of a distinction, but the status quo one is, you know, the, the, the lending team, like their clients show that. All the, time. all the time, private yeah. health insurance, yeah. car insurance, like yeah. all those sort of guys that is it appropriate? Yeah, yeah. I, I heard some advice once from one of the directors here at Mulcanco a long time ago, but just said you should take an annual leave day once a year and look at all of your expenses. And look at everything. Yeah. Take yeah. the whole day off work and sit there with your all of your bills that come in and just double check. Get on the phone if you need to or whatever. Look at their other offerings. Is my home internet? the best is my mobile phone thing the best is my health insurance the best and again you know with talking about status quo with the yeah, investments yeah, yeah. it'd be an opportunity once a year to think about this stuff yeah absolutely even like um i think you know electricity is a is a big one that the the government's even stepped in to encourage people to to go against the status quo of, of yes. just you know um, staying with the same Don't electricity provider you know yeah. with that that 250 grant to go and you know, review your 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 utility bill, um, and and find another um, yeah. a, a, maybe a cheaper or, or better supplier. Um, there's yeah, there's definitely so many real world examples of um, of yeah people are applying that bias Status to everyday bias. Deci yeah. decisions. Yeah, is it is it rooted in loyalty? Do you think some of this stuff like oh, I've always been a momentum energy guy, or I've always had my health insurance with Booker, Probab or probably so? Yeah. Is, is this kind of feeling like you're loyal to them or something? I would say there's an element of loyalty. I wouldn't mm. say it's a, it's a huge part of it. I think for status quo and also regret aversion, it's more to do with the fact that you're just comfortable and you don't think there's there's yeah. a need to, to, to make a change. Nothing so to worry about loyalty that. is probably you know a subliminal reason without it, like a byproduct reason, but not not one of the main ones. Yes, I, I would say. But it, for some people, absolutely. As yeah. in the old, I used to work at the bank in. Um, one of the big banks, and they would always say, I am only owning shares in this particular bank. I'm only ever investing, uh, having my money with this particular bank. What if that bank was offering half a percent less on a turn deposit than the three others? Yeah. And if you've got 100 grand there, that's a decent amount of money that that's you're losing money. purely because you're just loyal to it. Lo mm. through a because they're not loyal to you. No, that's through the a, thing. Through a kind mm -hmm. of a fake loyalty, yeah, in the status quo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, yeah, Com comfortability. And, and I think 
um, we've got a lot of traditionalists in Australia that um, that just like to literally follow the status quo. I think a lot of people, um, even you know, we, we talked about being conscious of these biases. I think a lot of people probably know um, that that you know that's that's what they do. That they just you know they live they live their life. They they do the things they do, and they don't want to change, even mm-hmm. if they know they're leaving opportunities on the table. Um, and look, that yeah, that's an, an example of of recognizing and 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 not you know, doing anything about it or just, just accepting it. Um, but obviously, the yeah, something that, that we need to be aware of is, is that um, particularly with investment decisions or, or, you know, other financial decisions, you, you're potentially leaving, um, you know, financial prosperity on the table. Yeah, exactly. And we talk about it in our, you know, tagline in the business, don't we? You know, helping clients achieve and maintain financial security. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're about. So that's why we're sort of trying to, um, you know, bring this stuff to your attention um, as a listener. But, no, that's good. Yeah, status quo and regret, they're very closely related, aren't they, really, when we Definitely. talk about them? So. Yeah. Perfect. All right, we'll um, move on to this last one. Um, so we're going to talk about endowment. Um, so primarily talking about, um, I guess, people inheriting shares um, or, or property or whatever it may be, yep. um, but in- inheriting financial resources, essentially. Yep. Um, Through the family, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and people will, will often value an asset more... Um, uh, when when they own it than than when they don't so um i guess the yeah would not i guess yeah we'll, we'll talk about inheritance we'll also just talk about generally when you when you own something already um you tend to value it more than than the same thing but just if you didn't own it right so okay um what well, it can be as simple as your friend gets a new car and you're a lot less careful around that car than when you get your own new car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's yours. It's right? almost almost the exact same yeah, emotional yeah. reaction to it. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so for a, a really basic example might be, say, if you if you own a, a stock and it appreciates, say you buy it for 10 bucks a share, um, it appreciates to 20 bucks a share, um, and your mate asks you, hey, you know, um, I've seen that, that stock of yours is going really well. Do you reckon I should buy some? And you go, oh, no, no, no it's way too expensive now. It's 20 bucks. I would, I would never put my money into that. But you're still holding on to it. Yes. And so <laughs> you think, think yourself that it's overvalued and yet you are still holding on to this thing because you, you, for whatever reason, value the one that you own more than the rest of them that are on, on the market that are completely identical. Yes. Every, you know, um, ordinary share of a, of a company is identical to, you know, one another. If you're buying and selling on, you know, the ASX, um, they're, they're all the same, um, but you might hold on to your little parcel of shares rather than sell them, even though you, you might tell someone else not to buy them because they're too expensive. Yes. Um, so it's... It's yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That it one? is a good it, one. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. um, and it's something again. We're, we're all susceptible to it. Um, it's it's uh, definitely an, an emotional thing that's it's very hard to avoid, um, and it may be the result of of other biases as well. It might you know regret aversion, loss aversion might come into it, um, but uh, it, it definitely it's yeah something that that I think um, yeah every uh, everybody is subject to is is just valuing your things. More than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like saying I've bought my house in this suburb, it's a better suburb than that suburb, you know, but it, like logically and, you know, financially and uh, with statistics, it yeah. might, not, might not be that way. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. just assume that it is because that's where you own property. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. And so um, consequences, as, as we've sort of talked about, um, investors might fail to replace assets when, when prudent to do so. Um, they might prefer to hold um, classes of assets um, with which they are familiar. Um, they might believe that they understand the characteristics um, of the investments they, they already own and may be reluctant to purchase those um, with which they have less experience 
uh, and, and familiarity um, adds to owner's perceived value. So again, just, just talking about, you know, um, you're, if you're familiar with, with something, of course, you, you're going to value it more than something else. Yeah, value yeah. it higher. Yep. That, that first consequence that Jesse mentioned, I think is important, which is fail to replace assets when prudent to do so. And the example was great. You know, if it's grow, if it's doubled in value and gone from ten to twenty dollars, and then you know you look at a, a, a list of stockbrokers and they think its maximum price is twenty two, twenty three bucks, your the the potential growth on hand is is not huge compared to maybe in other assets where again it could be only ten now and it should be valued at twenty five sooner. But people don't sell share A to buy share B because they're comfortable with that. They've made money from it now. So they're mm. comfortable with that particular company. That's a win. That's yeah. in the green. That's what we said earlier. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. But yeah. then you're kind of capping your gap, your growth there too. So it's a matter of, okay, that's that's one win. How do I get and the next and the next yes. and the next and the next? So something to be mindful of. Yep. Perfect. Great. All right. So we do actually have a, um, a, a little bit in the detection and guidance section for this one, which is good. So... Um, Talk, coming back to bequeathed securities, so when you're you know inheriting um, an asset from from an estate or whatever it might be, um, maybe it's been gifted from you know a family member or something like that. Um, investors um, often cite feelings of disloyalty associated with the prospect of selling inherited securities um, or uncertainty in you know determining the right choice, tax consequences, things like that. Um, so it's important to, I guess, consider what course of action would be taken if the investor instead inherited an equivalent sum of cash. Um, so we see it all the time. Um, investors will um, receive a, a parcel of shares. A lot of the time, I, I find that it's banking shares. I think I feel like that is always, um, you know, what the maybe that's just the most common for grandparents to have bought, and and they pass away, and and um, their children, you know, receive um, whether it's CBA, Westpac, NAB, whatever, some shares, um, and into you know a personal investment portfolio, and you know they tell us that that they don't they you know. Ma- they want to start an investment journey. They've, they've got this portfolio started. It sort of made me realise I want to start investing some of my own cash, but I don't want to touch these shares. They've, they've come from grandma, you know, make yeah. sure that we... She believed in the NAB, so yeah. I should believe in the NAB. <laughs> and it's that loyalty thing. It's yes. am I going to upset grandma by, by selling these? And as an extension, which it's probably easier to be more emotionally connected to these things, but we do see it with um, bequeathed assets like jewellery or antiques or something. Which again, jewelry understand or antiques, but something of a significant value that gets passed down the generations that three or four generations down means nothing to other than the fact that it was great grand great granddad's from the war or something like that. But yeah. it's another one where that that mo- the monetary value of that could be better used elsewhere, but sure. you value it more because it's yours now. Does it happen? Does it happen, Jesse, with property? Like when people get sort of handed a, a property yeah, from a I mean, deceased estate, do they go? Oh, I should hold this because it was grandma's house. Especially if it's yeah, if it's a family home. And look, if there's if there is um, you know that emotional connection to whether it be a property or shares, or whatever like that. If if it, if it's genuine, then there's reason to potentially hold on to something like that. If it, if it has a you know that emotional impact on you, then um, sometimes. Finances can be a, a secondary thought, right? Yeah, yeah. I would, n- would never tell anyone to sell something that they genuinely have an emotional connection to. Um, but I guess the particularly with with shares, property can be a, a bigger decision, obviously, especially if it's a family home. Um, but it is, I guess, Im- important to consider. And uh, the question that I've I've got written down here is to um, explore the deceased's intent in owing um, owning the investment and bequeathing it. Was it to leave a specific investment portfolio or was it to provide general financial resources? 
Um, and a lot of the time I think that um, the intent um, of, of somebody's will is to provide general financial resources and not specifically um, a particular parcel of shares or a property. What the, the true intent of that deceased person is, is is to provide you with the resources to go and create your own financial prosperity or uh, yes. financial security. Yeah, um, makes sense. So, yeah, look, I, I, I think... It's hard to... <laughs> It's hard to know that if the person's already deceased. It is hard to know that. And yeah. it's a weird question to say Christmas Day to grandma. <laughs> say, oh, by the way, if and when the time comes, what are we doing? But it's more for the person to maybe update a will or an estate plan and sort yeah. of just generalise the writing and say, maybe mention something like that. So then if and when the, the time comes, when that person does pass and it is bequeathed to the right to the, to the people that... It, they're aware that it isn't intended just to be... Just, to just for you to own the CBA shares forever. It could be intended to be a house deposit. Yeah. It needs to be sold to cash and mm. the potential tax paid. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's yeah, it's, a, it's it's obviously an awkward question to ask or a it conversation is. potentially, but it, it's a prudent one at the same time. But maybe Danny, it's an opportunity for those who are getting older to take the front. Uh, Correct. It's it's know, more on them than the, the yeah than the beneficiaries. And say, look, I'm actually going to go and amend my will mm. and actually change some wording in it. And it might not mean that anybody gets anything differently, but you're just change the wording so that just the instruction it's a bit, it's a bit more comfortable for the per- person getting the endowment Correct. to sort of action uh, take some action on it yeah yeah and uh, and you know um maybe a parcel of shares does you know hold maybe, maybe it is a family heirloom maybe you know oh, they great for the great CBA granddad, for 45 yeah, years yeah, so, yeah you know, got this on this on this first day or you know um it, it they could have been held in the family for a long time there could be genuine you know emotional reasons to hold on to something and in and above whatever financial you know or monetary value it might hold mm. um but it's just important to ask that question is is you know what was what was likely the intent if someone's passed away obviously you you maybe can't know that for sure but take a best guess or you know um what you know um only you can know your yeah you, you know, your I, grandparent or your parent you just, or whoever yeah, it was. yeah 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 you're based on your knowledge of, of that person and, and what they wanted for you in life or what you thought they wanted for you in life um you know was it this particular asset that they wanted me to hold and keep or, or was it just the the general monetary value that they were hoping that i can do something um in particular with whether that be like a house deposit or invest for my future or yeah, yeah, education it be. education like, yeah, yeah university fees example. that sort of thing yeah Great. Um, so then sort of circling back to just in, in general, um, when we're talking about valuing an asset um, that we hold more than more than um, something that, that we don't, some, uh, I guess, a way that we can we can um, help to, I guess, um, estimate the, the true value that we apply to something or the, the um, uh, I guess, our understand our opinion of the market value is to estimate a, a minimum price at which you might be willing to sell and a maximum price at which you might be willing to buy. Um, and if the market price for the asset that you hold falls outside of that range, then you, you need to make a decision on, you know, are, are you um, holding it um, yeah, because of a bias or are you holding it because it's So it's like that, setting you know, yourself a, a set of rules? Yeah, saying, yeah. saying this is what I'm going to abide yeah. by, hell or high water, this is what I'm going to do. Exactly, and when yeah. something does happen, it forces you to make that decision. Yeah, and it's a great way to really strip that, the emotion out of it. You, you don't have a choice. You, you make the rules and you abide by them. Um, of course, you can update your, you know, estimated um, price levels based on different fundamental analysis that that comes out about a, a particular asset. Markets obviously move, um, and and you can you know adjust your expectations um, accordingly. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it, I think it is important to yeah really set yourself some some ground rules and um, and stick to them. Um, it, it's a, it is a good way to yeah, really uh, avoid succumbing to these biases and potentially costing yourself um, in the long run. 
Yep. Um, no, thanks, Jesse. It's great to go through those four things. So just as a reminder, we went through, um, yeah, lo- loss aversion and the regret aversion, uh, then into the status quo and then into the endowment. So there's, there's a fair bit there, isn't there? And, and I think, um, the, as you say, you know, the takeaway is that emotions are hard to uh, come uh Maybe to conquer. You yeah, know, to conquer. Yeah, no, your, that's exactly right. Your financial security uh-huh. long term. But I suppose the message is too to sort of come and have a chat to you guys to see um, you know, what can be done. Maybe that's the whole family coming in if we're talking about an endowment or something else. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it sort of leads into other parts of our business here with the accountants. I know do a lot of work in succession planning, you know, yeah. with estates and yeah, things yeah, like yeah, farms yeah, and yep. whatever. So, so the idea uh, is. Farms are a big one for endowment too. Yeah. As yep. well, because it might be a matter of it could be. Um, the grandfather, who was a second generation farmer, um, wished for it to always stay in the family, and then they, and then the current generation are white collar professionals that have absolutely no interest whatsoever. Mm. But they're going to get it. So from their point of view, they're not seeing thousand acres and some cattle. They're just seeing dollar values. Yes, most yeah. likely. Yeah. So it's all about that succession plan. Can just just goes a long way to align align in, not instructions, just wishes, and then what the what the best interests are for the family moving forward. Because most of the time. Each generation of the family has the family's best interests in heart, unless, of course, there's some type of family rift, which which they do happen. Um, but farming's a big one, which you probably haven't touched on too much. Yeah, and I think uh, the succession planning, I know, is something that's heavily advised here because yep. the idea is to get the people to have a say in it before they do retire yeah, or ideally. pass away. So that, that's it, it stops that emotional bias before you said, Jesse, of like, mm. oh, they've already passed away, I can't ask grandma now. Um, and as you say, Danny, not, not every generation's interested in the same stuff the mm. previous generation was. Even that family heirloom, you know, grand piano, the next generation may have no interest in it. Might so it's just ta- it. mm. taking up room in, in, a, in a house and never getting played. Well, is that the best thing for the piano? You know, they've maybe got to pass that on to somebody that can use it and make good use of it. But I'll, interesting, I listened to a podcast on the way down here today, boys, and it was uh, Paul Simon um, from Simon and Garfunkel a long time oh, ago. Yeah. Um, musician, and he has just... He's quite old, he's in his 80s, and he's just sold his whole um, production, music production rights All the company. Equipment. Just sold the rights to every song, everything, before he's retired. Oh, well, before he you know, passes away, whatever. He's not, he's not ill, but just purely because he said, my kids have got no interest in it. They mm. love it that I'm a musician, but they don't want to be musicians. They don't, so why am I holding it? So yeah, yeah, yeah. he's made that decision to go ahead and do that and get rid of it before. That's so, a big call. Yeah. There, there'd be a lot of... Well, emotional bias is absolutely there for, for him to want to but move imagine that those on. Kids, there's no way they mm. would wait for him to die, then sell everything. Correct. They'd go, oh, better hold on to this thing. It was dad's thing and he was a musician or whatever. But, yeah, it is just an example that, you know, you can take the lead on it. You know, yeah. as the person that is getting to that age, you can take the lead on some of this stuff and help. And that's mm. a pretty severe example in that uh, extreme example. That's, that's that person's identity, yes. effectively, right? Yeah, yeah. So some other people, their financial portfolio isn't your identity. No. It's, it's a, a part of you, clearly, but it's not what you're renowned for. So if, if he can do it, anyone can why do can't it. anyone and else? And it's like the farmers. One of our clients in the Ballarat office, you know, a generational farmer, current kids, no interest in farming. Yep. Um, so he's made the decision to... to Sell it up. He's at retirement age. He's sold everything up, and he's and he's retired. And um, so, getting out of farming altogether, even though I think it was three generations of farmers before him. So this thing where our oh, dad was a farmer, granddad was a farmer, great grand granddad was a farmer. But you know, if that's not going to suit the people you're endowing to, well, what are you doing it for? Yeah. yeah. So um, some of those, yeah, that can help. Some of those decisions now, if you're getting that age, can help with the emotional biases. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. 
No, it's great, guys. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, it's um, really good. This is a yeah, two-parter for all our listeners. So mm. if you haven't heard cog- Cognitive Biases, um, it's a couple of episodes ago with Jesse and Danny and myself. So jump in there and have a listen to that. But uh, thanks for your time today, gents. Right. Yeah, no, it's been um, been really, really great to be. I've uh, appreciated the yeah the, the double-parter and I'd be um, yeah keen to come back on another time for uh, another topic. Um, well, I'm sure the CFA, the Chartered Financial yeah, there will Analyst, be more. There'll, be, there'll be more subjects that you're going to undertake sure. there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jesse, that we can have a chat about. So, But no, congratulations on doing the, the postgrad study and uh, Thanks, good Gavin. luck with the rest of it. And um, good luck, Danny, too. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Gavin. Good luck to the Pies next year, but not too much luck. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, boys. Have a great day. Cheers. You've been listening to the FS360 podcast brought to you by Mulcahy Co. Financial Security 360 is at the centre of what we do at Mulcahy Co. If you'd like to speak to one of our professionals about a range of individual and business needs, give us a call.